Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. The president who caused the chaos of the border needed to be here. So they need a lot of resources and we're going to get them for them. These two years and about $20 billion too late. In electing a speaker. The Honorable Kevin McCarthy. A speaker of the House. Our responsibility is to our country. The keys have been handed over to extremists. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Are we good? There we are. <laughs> we'll get it on. We'll get it on. New week, Monday. Uh, Benny is out. Clark and I are here. Got a good program lined up for you. We're going to be talking to Tammy Fitzgerald of the North Carolina Values Coalition in a little bit about pro-life legislation that will be followed up with Keith Kidwell, who will join us after we uh, hear from Tammy. That will be a little later in the program. Uh, the new sheriff in town, Sheriff uh, McCarthy, is uh, set to uh, really hit the ground running. By the way, the North Carolina legislature, they uh, go into session. They convene Wednesday at noon. The House will really get to work tonight. They are slated to vote tonight on a bill that would cut more than $70 billion in IRS funding and in order to prevent the agency from conducting new audits on Americans, fulfilling newly elected House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, his promise ahead of taking the gavel, the Family and Small Business Taxpayers Protection Act, which uh, was written and sponsored by Representatives Adrian Smith of Nebraska and Michelle Steele of California, would roll back the billions of dollars of funding for the IRS. That was a part of the, quote, Inflation Reduction Act, which was anything but that. Smith's bill leaves in place funding for customer service and improvements to IT services at the IRS, but rescinds several categories of uh, funding, including money that could be used to conduct any new audits on Americans, in total, it could claw back $72 billion of the funding Congress approved for the IRS last year. Now, this is not only good because it is uh, going to reduce the ability of the IRS to get into your business, but also it is, it is good because the House is now doing its job. And by the way, this is one of the things that the Freedom Caucus is really pushing for, that is that the House would have the ability to use the power of the purse, which they're doing within this bill. The Inflation Reduction Act granted $80 billion to, uh, um, to help out the IRS, well, <laughs> to screw the American people, help out the IRS with, uh, what was it, 67,000? No, 87,000 new auditors and other new staff. Um, the vote is scheduled for tonight. An exclusive uh, interview with Fox News just before the midterm elections, McCarthy vowed that if he became Speaker of the House, protecting Americans from the IRS would be his first order of business. Uh, he will follow through tonight on that. Uh, they will also vote on a new rules package, which will govern the 118th Congress. The package includes several measures aimed at making it harder for Congress to spend money. It also requires 72 hours' notice prior to voting on any new legislation a three-fifths majority in order to pass federal income tax rate increases, and the formation of a task force to address the health ethics reform. 
The rules also called for the creation of a House Oversight Subcommittee to investigate the origins of COVID-19, specifically mentioning the U.S. government's involvement in any funding of -of gain-of-function research. And by the way, the uh, Republicans are also uh, pretty anxious to uh, dig into um, the Biden corruption family. But, you know, as far as these rules go, I mean, they're good rules. I'm glad they're there. But how long have we had these rules concerning a period of time in which members of the House and the Senate would have the ability to read the bills before they're voted on? I mean, how long have they been there? 15 years? 10 years? The rules are only as good as the enforcement of those rules. Now, really what we need to do is uh, we need to have somebody in Congress pass these rules into law. It's not going to happen right now because of uh, where the Senate stands. But, I mean, they really need, once once the, the House and the Senate, they, they need to somehow, whether it would take an act of... Uh, a constitutional amendment, but they they need to make these rules more permanent. And, and again, the big rule is, okay, are we going to have a vote on term limits? Uh, McCarthy said yes. We'll see where that goes. And, again, right now it would not pass the Senate. And uh, and, and I'm, I'm thinking if, if you have – now, for sure, if you had a vote on term limits, uh, that would have to be a constitutional amendment. But a place to get it started would be in the House and the Senate. Dan Crenshaw from Texas, he wanted very much to uh, lead the House Committee on the Homeland Security. He was very uh, keen on, and and he made a big deal about how he wanted to get the border under control. He is from Texas. Last week, I think he went too far when he called those who were challenging McCarthy, the the Freedom Caucus, those 20 representatives who would not vote for McCarthy, he called them terrorists. And uh, he doubled down after he came out with the word terrorist. He's going with Tucker Carlson and uh, told him to unclutch your pearls. Uh, he later said, well, that's just a turn of the phrase. Um, he said, I've got pretty thick skin. I'm called awful, vile things by the that same wing of the party that I was fi- uh, fighting at the moment. So I was a little taken aback by the sensitivity of it, but to the extent that I have colleagues that were offended, I sincerely apologize to them. I don't want them to think that they I actually believe they were terrorists. Well, why did you say it? Uh, anyway, I, I give you all that information to let you know that Dan Crenshaw will not head up the Committee on Homeland Security. That instead has gone to Mark Green of Tennessee, Green is an Army Ranger veteran who was deployed by uh, the United States to Iraq and Afghanistan, his last assignment being a flight surgeon in the 160th Special Operations Aviation Airborne, uh, a unit known as Night Stalkers. Um, It's a little curious. I mean, last week, the guys that were really, and women who were really getting a lot of flack, were the members of the Freedom Caucus. This week, is it directly because of what he said about the members of the Freedom Caucus? I don't know. But Dan Crenshaw is uh, on the outside looking. I like Dan Crenshaw. But I was very surprised of the stance he took against the Freedom Caucus. And again, 
By the way, I don't want to sound like I'm gloating, but I'll gloat anyway. <laughs> although, I, although I did, in midweek, I did question whether or not uh, it would be McCarthy. But I originally came out and said McCarthy will eventually get it. Of course, a lot of people said that. But uh, it, it, it went through a few more gyrations than I thought it would. I, I figured it would go through six or seven votes. It went through 15. But again, so what? I mean, we have had these establishment politicians destroying our country for decades. And we get upset because it took four or five days to select a speaker? And they had to go through 15 votes? So what? <laughs> I mean, I thought it was great that the Freedom Caucus got the attention of what's happening in Washington, D.C., and people, you know, there was a headline out today. Oh, is this is this going to harm the Republican Party in 2024? No, it's not going to harm the Republican Party at all. The reason why the Democrats lost is because of the tactics of Nancy Pelosi. What the Freedom Caucus has done, 99% of what they did last week was to restore things that the Democrats had destroyed over the last five to ten years. So, no, it's not going to hurt the Republicans. It's going to help the Republicans. By the way, did anybody hear last night Prince Harry on 60 Minutes? Now, Prince Harry's got a new book coming out called Spare. I'd like to be spared from it. Um... He was on 60 Minutes, and there was a there was a really one specific thing he said that was so full of irony. See if you can pick it up. Here's Prince Harry from last night on 60 Minutes. Again, note it's 60 Minutes, and listen to what he says. So now, trying to speak a language that perhaps they understand, I will sit here and speak truth to you with the words that come out of my mouth rather than using someone else an unnamed source to feed in lies or a narrative to a tabloid media that literally radicalizes its readers to then potentially cause harm to my family my wife my kids so he's saying that other members of the royal family go to tabloid media to share what they want to push, their narrative, to make them look good and Prince Harry and his wife to look bad. Now, did anybody else note tabloid media? Now, I know 60 Minutes thinks they're the epitome of journalistic integrity, but quite frankly, 60 Minutes is tabloid media. I mean, they push a narrative. They constantly are pushing liberalism, constantly pushing the woke narrative. It is tabloid media. Now, I know it's framed as a news program, but it's tabloid media. So where does Harry go? And what does he say? He goes to 60 Minutes tabloid media to complain that the royal family is running to tabloid media to push the narrative they want to push. What was he doing last night on 60 Minutes? He was on tabloid media pushing the narrative that he wanted to push. 
he uh, went on, uh, apparently this book, Spare, that would be called Spare Me, um, he recounts in the book killing 25 Taliban in Afghanistan, engaging in risky sexual escapades outside a pub, and using cocaine. He writes about all this in his book, released, uh, is going to be released tomorrow, I guess. And it's, it's, oh, I'm just a regular guy. Really? I, do regular guys have the use of cocaine while they're uh, involved in risky sexual escapades? I'm just a regular guy. It was interesting, it, just a regular guy, but he was actually asked, why don't you just go ahead and totally renounce your royalty altogether and just walk away from it? It'd get rid of the titles completely, walk away from the royal family. His reply, his safe answer reply was, why, what good would that do? Which, bottom line is, because he's getting, he's, look, he's in there slamming his family. And how many thousands of dollars does he get each month because he's a part of the royal family? Yeah, can't make it up. Nice gig if you can get it. We got to take a time out. Stay with us. Much more on Monday's edition of News and Views. We'll be right back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in January 9th. You know, usually we talk about how it's National Hamburger Day. We actually have a national day today that is significant that we ought to recognize. It is National Law Enforcement Appreciation Day. So uh, go buy a police officer a cup of coffee. Uh, taking a quick look at your weather forecast tonight, uh, it's going to be chilly tonight, low of 26, partly cloudy skies. Tomorrow, a high of 56 with a few clouds in the sky. Tomorrow night's low, a low of 30. Again, a few clouds. And uh, Wednesday, not bad at all, a high of 59 with uh, partly cloudy skies. So all in all, not a bad forecast over the next, really the next week. Uh, do have a chance of the rain late in the week and then it turns a little colder over the weekend. Uh, the North Carolina legislature, as I mentioned earlier in the program, they will reconvene on, well, they'll convene, and there's a new body coming in, so I guess they won't reconvene. They'll convene uh, Wednesday at noon, both the House and the Senate. And uh, one of the things they're going to be taking up, and uh, we're going to talk to Keith Kidwell in a little bit in a little more detail about this, because Keith is uh, somewhat of a go-to guy. Of course, Keith was very involved in the pro-life pregnancy center down in Beaufort County. and uh, But they're going to be very, uh, Keith and the rest of the uh, House and the Senate are going to be working on legislation related to the reversal of Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs decision in the middle of last year, into the summer last year, and uh, to talk about what they might come up with and to talk about what, uh, she would like, we have on the line with us Tammy Fitzgerald, who is the executive director of the North Carolina Values Coalition. Tammy, welcome in. Good to have you with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Well, uh, you know, this is an important issue, and we've been talking about it for some time. We've even talked about it prior to uh, the, the Dobbs decision, and uh, we talked to Keith on a fairly, fairly regular basis. But uh, I guess the first question a lot of people are asking themselves, there is a supermajority in the Senate, and there is 
a big majority in the House. It's not a super majority. But whatever that does pass that is uh, pro-life friendly, would it get by the governor's uh, office? Would he veto it? Well, I'm certain that Governor Cooper will veto any bill that will save an unborn life, even one, because he is totally sold out to the pro-abortion crowd and, in fact, has been supported by their PACs and lobbyists for years. So I'm certain Governor Cooper will veto it. The question is whether we can get past a gubernatorial veto. And with a supermajority in the Senate and um, only one vote short in the House, uh, we think that there is a pathway to victory for a pro-life bill this year that will help limit the number of abortions going on in North Carolina. Are you familiar with any pro-life Democrats that are, that this is a strong issue, uh, that they would be so pro-life they would go against the governor? Well, uh, last, last session in uh, 2021, our organization, the NC Values Coalition, uh, helped support a bill that the legislature passed called the Human Life Non-Discrimination Act. And this bill limited abortion for babies uh, who were diagnosed with Down syndrome pre-birth or on the basis of race. And like I said, the bill passed the legislature. The governor vetoed it. um, And we couldn't get past the veto last time because the numbers were different. But there were six pro-life Democrats in the House who voted for the bill the the first time it went through the state house. And uh, many of these legislators are are leaders that we have worked with in the past that are very pro-life. And this is this is not a political question to them. This is a moral issue, a religious issue, a matter of their faith. And so we believe that there are legislators on the Democrat side who would vote to override the governor's veto. And you, I assume you just need one, right? Uh, assuming all assuming Republicans all vote for this legislation. Well, yes, and that's a big assumption. Um, there's a lot of uh, nervousness, I would say, among some in the Republican Party um, about a heartbeat bill, which would limit abortion at the point in pregnancy at which you can detect the baby's heartbeat. That's usually about six weeks. And um, I don't know why any legislator would be nervous about this bill because um, the Supreme Court has said there is no constitutional right to abortion. Um, Planned Parenthood and other abortion groups just dismissed a lawsuit in state court that sought to find a constitutional right to abortion in the state constitution. And so with both of those suits out of the way, the legislators have um, just an open territory in terms of what they might pass. And this certainly seems like a reasonable limitation at the point where you could hear a heartbeat. So is that what you would want? You'd want a six-month limitation where right now I believe it's 20 weeks. You'd like to reduce that to six weeks. That's correct. And, you know, one of the biggest um, selling points on the heartbeat bill is that people associate a heartbeat with life. I mean, when they check to see if you're dead, they check your pulse, right? They check to see if your heart is still beating. And so it's just a natural um, point at which people believe that life begins. But the other point is that the present limitation at 20 weeks is only saving about one-half of 1% 
of all the babies that get aborted in North Carolina. We presently abort 31,850 unborn babies a year, sadly, as of 2020. That's the latest year for which we have figures. And so if we were to able to pass a heartbeat bill, it would actually save the lives of 86% of those unborn babies that are presently being aborted. Um, anything less than that is really not going to make a big difference. At 12 weeks, you would only be saving about 13% of the babies presently being aborted. And so we believe that the um, heartbeat bill, which is a compromise to begin with, is is the right place to draw the line right now. And um, we think that we can get the votes for that. And I'm assuming that if, if you had your your way you would eliminate abortion entirely. But but you're well, politically speaking, you're 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 trying to pass what you think is the most um, uh, productive bill for the pro life movement that actually has a chance of getting through. Am I am I is that a correct assumption on my part? I think that's correct. You know, without an absolute veto proof majority in both houses, I think that um, a total limitation on abortion is probably not going to happen. I doubt you could get Democrats to vote for that. But with a, something like a heartbeat bill that would save 86% of the babies presently being aborted, um, we think that we can get the support. Now, um, you know, 66% of North Carolinians believe that abortion ends a human life. And yet what we've seen after the Dobbs decision, which eliminated Roe versus Wade as, a, as an impediment, abortion in North Carolina has jumped by 37%. And that signifies that our state has become the destination for abortion in the South because all the states around us have become, uh, they've either limited abortion when a heartbeat can be detected or at conception. Well, let me ask, let me ask you another question related to that because uh, when when you say the thirty seven percent increase, is that uh, the uh, traditional? Uh, I hate to use the word traditional abortion, but is that a, in in uh, the clinic abortion where the child is removed from the womb? Uh, does that include? abortion pills, because just today, and I also want to ask you if you think this is an uh, end around by the Biden administration, just today in the News and Observer, there's an article out talking about the fact that the Food and Drug Administration is now allowing pharmacies to dispense, um, uh, what is the name of the uh, bill, uh, Mifepristone, I guess is how you pronounce it. Uh, Mifepristone and Mifepristone. Prisex, I think. There are two drugs. But basically, they're they're allowing the abortion pill to be dispensed through the pharmacies. And my impression is that this would not involve a doctor that is more or less over the counter. Uh, Now, there is apparently a law in North Carolina that you must be in the presence of a doctor when you take the pill. But it, right. it, it appears to me that this this is an end around that the Biden administration is saying, OK, well, Dobbs might have removed Roe v. Wade, but we're basically going to have our way and allow women to uh, we're going to bypass the Supreme Court and we will now dispense uh, these abortion pills directly to women. And uh, 
that that's just the that's way it's going exactly, to be. That's exactly what it is, an end around. And it, you're right, you're correct. We do have a law in North Carolina that requires that the abortion pills be administered by the doctor, the abortionist, to, directly to the woman, and she must take the first pill in the doctor's presence. Now, allowing abortion pills to be dispensed by pharmacies really goes around that whole um, concept of providing care through a physician because it would allow the woman to go home and take the pills and abort her dead baby into a toilet or a bathtub. And many women don't understand that that's exactly what happens, um, that they're going to see their dead baby. And they also don't understand that the abortion pill is only indicated by the manufacturer and the FDA up to 10 weeks of pregnancy. And we've heard horrific stories from around North Carolina of teenage girls taking one in Asheville who took the pill and uh, delivered a full-term baby. At oh, my gosh. And um, so without the care of a physician, you first of all, you don't know the gestational age of the baby because there would be no ultrasound done to find out what the age is. But second, you wouldn't know if, the, if there's an ectopic pregnancy, which is pregnancy in the fallopian right. tube, which uh, those pills, are um, they endanger the very life of the mother if she has an ectopic pregnancy. And the only way to know is to have an ultrasound. And so when you take the doctor out of the equation, you are really making it unsafe for women. And um, most women don't understand this. They don't understand the safety risk because no doctor has explained it to them. They haven't given them informed consent. And um, they just don't understand the emotional trauma of seeing your child, your your dead baby um, after the after the body expels the baby and it's a now, sad I, I reality. Would think the traumatic uh, effects of that would be even more dramatic than having the abortion at a clinic. It it is. Um, many women describe it as more traumatic. In fact, um, a pregnancy care center director was telling me this morning about a woman who uh, had taken the pills and came in to see them at the pregnancy care center and said she would do anything to avoid that again, that it was the most traumatic thing in her whole entire life. And so what needs to happen is um, the state pharmacy board needs to step in and inform the pharmacists in North Carolina that it's against the law for them to dispense the pills and uh, give them directly to the women. Now, a lot of women are ordering them off the Internet. Chinese companies and companies from uh, India and the U.K. are advertising on the Internet to sell pills directly to women, regardless of what the state law says. And, in fact, these websites even tell the women how to get around the state law. Well, and, uh, what exactly does the state law in North Carolina say, though? Because it is my impression that uh, in, in reading this article, and again, this is out of the News and Observer, so they're going to be slanted, but my impression was that they can sell the pill, but they can't be con the, the, the individual woman would be violating the law if she didn't take it in the presence of a doctor. Am I correct on that? Well, the doctor is the one who violates the law. If he doesn't dispense the pill directly to the woman, in person. And so um, 
I read that as saying the pharmacy could not dispense the pills to the woman because it takes the doctor out of the out of the picture. Well, is it, is, is it am I accurate when I say that the Food and Drug Administration is basically making this in other states anyway an over the counter product? Well, they're trying to do that. They have not made it an over the counter product yet. You still have to have a prescription. Okay. But. Um, but prior to this, it had to be dispensed at the doctor's office. That's correct. And the doctor has to administer the pill to the woman. And so what we need, uh, state law absolutely trumps a federal administrative rule, like you just saw come down from the Federal Drug Administration. So anything the FDA does is subject to what state law says in our state and any other state. And so we need to have the state pharmacy board step in and inform the pharmacies across the state that this is not uh, legal for them to dispense the drug because it will it will guarantee that the doctor is not involved in the process. And by statute, the doctor must be administering that first pill. Tammy, we're up against a break, but thanks so much for everything that you do at North Carolina Values uh, Coalition. Uh, if our listeners want more information about the coalition, they can go to ncvalues.org. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for standing up for life. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's been our pleasure. Stay with us. We'll be back, and uh, Keith Kidwell will be on the line. We'll be talking to Keith about what he has in mind for legislation. We'll be right back. Uh, Brandon, he, what does he play? Well, Mr. President, they're not. Um... Folks, let's hear it for Brandon. What a job he's doing. Let's go, Brandon. Now back to news and let's news go. on 963-1037. Welcome back again. Keith Kidwell represents North Carolina's 79th District in the North Carolina House, representing Beaufort, Dare, Hyde, and Pamlico. Keith is on the line with us right now. Keith, we just got off with uh, Tammy Fitzgerald from the North Carolina Values Coalition. Um, she has said that what they'd really like to do in this next uh, session is see a, a piece of legislation passed that would be equivalent to the heartbeat bill, that uh, six weeks would be the maximum amount of time you could wait uh, until you'd have to have abortion uh, prior to six weeks gestation. She also felt as if there would be at least a few Democrats that would be willing to come alongside of Republicans to override any veto that Governor Cooper would add to uh, the mix. Um, so uh, you, <laughs> when I saw you earlier today, I asked Keith uh, if he's going to be involved in uh, legislation. He said, well, does a one-legged duck swim in a circle? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which I, I laughed at, and I thought, yeah, one does. But so, so and you you have said that uh, you you are very involved. Of course, I mentioned when I was uh, introducing Tammy that uh, you've been very involved in the pro life uh, pregnancy center down in Beaufort County, and this has been a cause of yours 
not just since you've been in the legislature, but for many years prior to that. So, yeah, over is, 30 years, Tom. Yeah, so what is your thinking, Keith, in terms of uh, legislation that uh, would be introduced that perhaps you'd have a hand in writing? Well, you probably remember last uh, last session I actually introduced a heartbeat bill. Uh, in the session prior, the prior biennium, I introduced one. It was called the quickening bill, which is basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we've not gotten a lot of traction I think that uh, I'm hopeful that the sentiment was that they felt like the governor would veto it and we would lose it anyway, so it wasn't worth the fight. I, I felt it was still worth the fight. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very hopeful that we can convince enough members of the General Assembly to pass uh, some restrictions on abortion. I think abortion on demand is a plight on our society, and uh, we, we need to fix it. Right so now it's I, a 20-week legi- be- uh, limitation. That is correct. Yeah, we fell back to a old law uh, prior to the the uh, Roe v. Wade decision, so we dropped back to that. So there is a 20-week cap now. There was a court case that uh, indicated we could not um, limit it to the 20-week ban. That was eh, about four years ago, uh, but now that that doesn't stand any longer because the uh, I think the judge actually vacated the order, if I remember correctly. How does that how does that compare to most other states? Is that pretty typical, or is that uh, a little bit more on the liberal side in terms of twenty weeks? Well, it, it, it's it's tending now since Roe v. Wade. Most states, um, you're seeing two trends. One is abortion on demand, no matter what, up till birth, like we see in New York, New Jersey, Colorado, and California. Uh, you're seeing some other states that have put some pretty severe restrictions, uh, such as Texas. And, uh, you know, there was one other state that actually ended up criminalizing the doctor end of it. So the, the person having the abortion would not have charges, but the doctor that performed it. Uh, I think that might have been Alabama, with, I think. Yeah, I, I can't recall what state that was. But you know, I've seen so many of them. This is something Tammy and I spoke right after Roe v. Wade, actually before the decision when we heard that it was going to be coming down. And, um uh, her and I are going to work very closely, as I will with the uh, North Carolina Right to Life, National Right to Life, to uh, craft appropriate legislation uh, that, that's going to roll this back. It's it's just horrible what we see. Well, you know, me... I know there's people out there that, that think, oh, it's okay to have an abortion, you know, right up to birth. That's just, I don't know. Well, it's, it's murder. a baby. I don't care what you tell me. Yeah, it is. Um, it is. No uh, l- l- let me ask you about something else that I brought up with Tammy, and that is there's an article in today's News and Observer talking about the Food and Drug Administration regulation will now allow retail pharmacies to dispense the abortion pill. Now, uh, right. Tammy said she feels like, oh, you still have to have a prescription for this. Um, but she did feel like, and I feel like, this is sort of an end around. Okay, you might take away Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs decision in the Supreme Court, but we're going to make it just as easy by allowing women to go ahead. All they got to do is find a doctor that will give them a prescription they can go, and, uh, and from a federal level, the Food and Drug Administration is saying, yes, you can go out and get this pill. Uh, and right. they're going to make it easier by allowing the pharmacies to dispense it. And it's Tammy's feeling that uh, eventually they'd like to make it an over-the-counter thing. Um, what is the specifics of the law on the books now as far as the doctor having to be involved in the process? And does that need to be beefed up? So where we are now, I believe, is that you, you must have a prescription from a physician, 
and the first dose has to be administered at the physician's office. Is, is right. I understand. That's what I understand too. Um, yeah. So, and, and you know, Tom, the bad news on that, there's going to be doctors in California, New York, and New Jersey that are going to prescribe, you know, a mail order prescription, much like they do Viagra today, and they'll they'll send that to you through the mail. Uh, you know that that's coming, and there's going to be very, very little and, and very difficult for North Carolina to stop that when you're dealing with federal regulations. But can, can you, it seems to me that with the Dobbs decision, though, that the legislature, if they had a mind to, could make that illegal. Now, well, and then whether or not it would make stop all it. kinds of things illegal. Right. I, well, whether it would stop it, I don't know, but you could make it a crime. Right. Yeah, we can make it a crime. The problem is you've got to be able to enforce that across state lines, and that becomes a whole different problem. You know, to me, and we, we tried, and I say we, uh, Larry Pittman and I, uh, tried to get a bill passed that the doctor had to at least inform somebody who was using the RU486 pill that there was a reversal pill, uh, methylprestone, I believe right, it is right, called. Right. Um, and and it at least advised them that that was there. And, and we weren't able to get traction on that either. Uh, in the last four years, what is the leadership? So we, we, of, what, what is the leadership of the Republican Party? Uh, are, are they on board with this? Are they encouraging you to this end, or are they a roadblock? Well, so in the past, we did not see really any pro-life legislation, with the exception of the Born Alive Abortion Survivor Act uh, that has been passed in the four years that I've been there. I've, I've not been able to get even action on any of the pro-life legislation that I've drafted. I am much more hopeful this go-around. I've already spoken with the Speaker of the House, uh, Tim Moore. Uh, he and I discussed that we will work on legislation to restrict abortion. I'm fairly certain that he does not want to go as as far as I do with it. Uh, but I'll tell you, and I, and I know some people are going to be, well, we only want it one way or the other. I, I would love to have it life of the mother. That That's where I would like to be. Where are we going to end up? We're not going to end up there, at, at least initially. But, you know, we're going to have to chop this tree down one swipe at a time. Right. understand. So I, I will take whatever win I can get. I can tell you what I'll push for. That's life of the mother. But I will chop the tree down by whatever means is necessary. And it might take a, a few years to do it. I'm, I'm willing to keep working on it. Uh, let me back you up. What do you mean by life of the mother? So it, when, when it's an event that's going to cause uh, where the mother may die if she continues with, the, with carrying the baby. Uh, when you look at life of the mother, and quite honestly, that's a minuscule amount of uh, times that you're actually going to run into that in today's society. With with the medical advances we have, it's very rarely that you would have to abort a baby in order to save a mother's life. It's almost always a situation where they can save both. Right. Um, you know, and but that that's where I am. You know, people talk about what about rape? What about incest? You know, that baby committed no crime. Well, it seems like the life of the mother would be the the minimum amount. Right. That's that. What, what I'm saying is that when it comes to the life of the mother, that the the parent, the mother, and mother and or father. I think a father actually has a right to the decision. The child's part is half his. Um, I think that at that point, that the mother can make a decision if they terminate the pregnancy to save her life. I think that that's a choice that they can that they can make. So, the, the, in other words, that would be the exception. That would be your your ideal for the exception. Exactly. I got you. Okay, I'm with you. Correct. All right. Correct. All right, Keith. Uh, we so, start back to work on uh, Wednesday at noon, right? Yeah, actually, I'm heading up tomorrow, Tom. I've got some activity up there, and we'll be there Wednesday. I think we're going to be on uh, Henry's show early in the morning, 
He's usually up there from 7 till 9 on, on swearing-in day. And we go back into session at noon, and we'll break. I think it's two weeks to get everybody set up in their offices and so on. And uh, constitutionally, we have to start the end of January, so that's what we're going to be doing. All right. Well, thank you for what you do. Great job as always. All right, Tom. All right. Thanks, we'll Keith talk Kidwell. To you soon. Thank you. Stay with us. I'll be right back. 